0: Good evening and welcome to Steadfast. I am so glad to be with you tonight as we continue our series, Is This Going Anywhere? We're thinking about how God works in our lives and in the uncertainty of our lives, in the things that seem to be going well, and also the things that don't go as planned. That's what we're going to see more of tonight as we're thinking about the life of King David, a a man who in so many ways things seem to go especially right for. In so many ways he seemed to have God's favor Working towards him, yet he too faced difficulties and uncertainty, and even in the things where he wanted to glorify God, it didn't necessarily always go the way that he expected, maybe the way that he hoped. And so, as we come tonight, probably with some of those same things going in our hearts—things that we hoped would go one way and didn't, things that that we're not quite sure how it's all going to work out, things that we're trying to make sense of—let's come before the God who has a plan. For each of us I ask that he would help us to be encouraged and guided by his word tonight. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your goodness and your love. Lord, so often we don't know exactly where, where things are going, how things are going to work. We don't know how you're working in our lives or sometimes we wonder if you're working in our lives at all. But Lord, would you help us to see how you are indeed working in our lives. Help us to have peace in in how you work. Help us to have trust, to trust in you, and to trust in what you are doing. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It's funny the plans that we do make. I make a lot of plans. I, I make a lot of plans and think, ah, I have everything worked out, everything's going exactly according to plan, until it doesn't. And we see that on on a scale that's not just our individual lives, we see that on the scale of our communities and our world as well, and I found myself thinking this past week about a a group of people who probably thought they had an awful lot organized and planned, a whole series of people, Uh, and what I was thinking of were the neighborhoods in Bridgeton around Lambert International Airport, I think they've renamed it St. Louis Lambert International Airport now, anyway, they keep changing the name, but But you know the airport I'm talking about. And and this airport was next to this community, but the community had been there for years and was growing, and they built new houses. And and you had these homes near but not on top of the airport, and they were nice homes. And and so you imagine the, the architects planning the drawings and the people laying out the roads and the construction workers building the homes and the people buying the homes and the people making memories in those homes, people planting their... Their gardens and, and tending their lawns, and just everything that happened, it felt like it would be all according to plan until a new plan showed up a plan to tear down those homes and extend the airport out. If you drive over to that area right now, you'll see remnants of those neighborhoods, the roads, some of which didn't get wiped out by the runway, but the houses still had to be taken down because they were too close to the runway. And so you have these neighborhoods that aren't neighborhoods anymore, just Roads, and then of course you have areas where the runway actually went, and it's just completely gone. It's, it, the The plan is wiped off the map. But it felt like a plan, a good plan at the time, a plan that that should have worked. and Then you have that runway itself, and, and this is where it's interesting. We have a plan, and maybe then we think, well, we need to switch plans, or people tell us we need to switch plans, and and so here's a, here's a plan that's going to be so much better than the plan that you think you should hold on to, and. What do we have? We have a runway that never gets used because right as it was finished, we had 9-11 and and suddenly people weren't going on planes as much. And St. Louis was no longer a, a big hub for airplanes and, and the world just got turned upside down. So we have a plan that leads to a different plan that overturns it that then is overturned by other circumstances in life. I think when we look at those sorts of examples, and there's a bunch of them, I bet you can think of things you've seen both personally and in the broader world, what we find out is what we think is important, what we think is a good plan, what we think makes sense of the course of our lives and the lives of those around us, sometimes turns out not to be all that important, and sometimes turns out not to be the right plan at all. It's not going in the direction that ultimately history is moving, and it's not going in the direction that God wants us to move in. And as we look at King David, at at the height of his reign and in the height of his relationship to the Lord, where where God is blessing his kingdom and and things are going in the right way in so many ways, we actually see this sort of thing play out. And let's go ahead now and look at verse 1 and following in chapter 7 of 2 Samuel. Now we read in Second Samuel chapter 7, verses 1 to 10, it says, Now when the king lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. Nathan said to the king, Go and do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. But that same night the word of the Lord came to Nathan, Go and tell my servant David, Thus says the Lord, Would you build me a house to dwell in? Have I not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day? But I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. And all the places And I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make your name great like the name of the great ones of the earth. I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly. What do we see here? We see... Kind of an interesting combination of things if you think about it. And let's just go back, not rush into the promises God's making and the recounting of his history with David. Let's go back to that very first part. David says something to a prophet of the Lord. And this prophet Nathan, this is the first time we've encountered Nathan. He shows up in key parts of David's life, but this is the first time. David says to him, God needs a house. And what David's looking at is is a wonderful thing in in so many ways, what he's thinking. He's looking at his own palace. He's become a very powerful king. He has a wonderful palace. He has fortifications. He looks important and impressive from an earthly standpoint. And David's thought as he looks out at this tent that, that God has declared is the place where Israel should worship him, he's looking at this tent and he says, Why should it be that I have this wonderful place to live, and yet God isn't given a grand place to dwell as well? So his heart's in the right place. And if we notice in these first few verses, it's also quite remarkable. Commentators have noted the word king is used over and over again. When we see here, very first verse, the king lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from his enemies. The king said to Nathan, The prophet, see, now I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, it's emphasizing the king, the king, the king. He's established his king. The, The question of whether David is the king over the land is no longer a question. It's firmly established. He has a kingdom and he is the king. And so David is wanting to take his success and turn it into something to worship the Lord. And That's something that we should want to do, too. That should be our heart for the Lord, that when he blesses us and when things come together, we should want to do things to honor our God as a response to that. So Nathan, knowing that the Lord is with David, knowing how these things have come about, again, this is the first time we encounter him in the text, but not the first time he's ever encountered David, presumably. This is just where we get introduced to him. Nathan looks at this, this firmly established king, clearly with the Lord's blessing, and and he feels like this is a no-brainer kind of answer. David wants to bless the Lord and worship him by building this temple. Go for it, David. Go and build this temple. Go do it. The Lord is with you. What are we told as we move on here? We're told that, that the Lord appears to Nathan and says, hold it there. You need to Amend what you told David. And in what he has Nathan go and amend to David, he, he doesn't say, well, it's untrue that my pro- what my prophet said that I am with you. No, I am very much with you. I called you out of the, the field. I've made you the king. I've made it so you can secure the borders and, and protect my people and shepherd them rather than sheep. And they're no longer facing constant threats from enemies. I, I've done these things. I am with you. But I don't want you to build that temple. I have to think in that moment, David probably is scratching his head. He's going to hear a lot from the Lord in this section, and it's going to start to come together. But imagine David, this successful king, who has the Lord with him, and he's told this. And and you might go through a moment trying to figure out, does it mean the Lord's not really with me? I have this plan. I want to worship him. I want to do what's right. I want to do what God wants me to do with my life and the resources he's placed in my life. I'm trying to do it, and God's telling me no. David wants to to take what he has and build a lasting monument, a lasting structure, something that honors the Lord. Now, was that purely out of pure motive? Maybe not. I, I wouldn't be surprised if David was imagining. And people will remember the temple that David built for generation after generation after generation. That probably was in there. Can't help but land in that place, can we really? We want to think as we do things for God that it's lasting. Reading this, I find myself thinking about the different opportunities I've had to do in ministry and and things I've started, different programs, both when I was a chaplain and when I've been a pastor. And You know, one of the things that can get really discouraging is to look back and realize most of the things I've started no longer are going on. At the church I previously served at, I started a Wednesday night program. I loved that program, and and there were people that seemed to genuinely love that program. It was meaningful for a time, and yet it's gone. There were chapel services I started and movie discussion nights and all sorts of things when I was chaplain. And it felt like these are the sorts of things on both of these tracks, at, at the school and, and at the church. These are the sorts of tracks that, that are, are going someplace. And even someday when I'm not serving there, there are going to be things that are carried on that, that remind people of who God is. And no, they're not. They're gone. And in our lives, I think all of us run into some of those things, things that we're doing for God and things that we're doing for the people that God's placed in our lives. And we think we want to make these lasting sorts of monuments that are are in, are are impactful and, and people will carry on for generations. It's the prayer that I have for Little Hills Church. I, I'm not hoping that Little Hills Church is a flash in the pan, that you, we have it for this little while. We've had it for two years now as we've gathered online. Now we're gathering in person as well. We, we have this hybrid community online and in person. And, and it feels like, oh, here's something wonderful. And as we've talked about it and prepared for it, and, and I've talked with many of you, we've talked about, wouldn't it be amazing to think about people 50 or 100 years from now coming back and, and reflecting on what God's been doing in this church? Because they're a part of this church too. And I pray that's the case. And it's a good thing for us to desire that to want that, to think that this isn't something just for us, but that we'll pass along for generations. But what God reminds us here is our plans aren't always exactly how we think they should be. And God could decide that this ministry is for a shorter time. I have no inside information. I'm trying to leak out softly to you. Oh, no, don't worry if it goes away. No, I'm not saying that sort of thing. Not at all. But it reminds us that we put weight and this is going to last and people will look back on it. And, and maybe they'll look back on how we interacted with it and what we did in it and and honor that. And that's not what God cares about. It's not what he cared about with David and he's not, it's not what he cares about with us. And it's not how he works necessarily through us. He uses us to do things that will have a lasting impact, but sometimes in ways that we don't necessarily expect. What this passage is challenging us to think about is, am I looking at things from God's perspective? Because my perspective is, I'm going to start or add to something or build on something, and I'm going to pass it on to someone else, and then that's going to continue and continue and continue. And again, we should be thinking in those terms in the sense that we should want the things that we do for the Lord to last. It's good when they last. But what we really should be thinking about is, am I doing what God wants me to do in this moment? Am I pleasing him in what I'm doing? And if it lasts for tons of time in, in a human perspective or not, it doesn't matter. What matters is that we're doing what God has called us to do. Because my ideas for advancing God's work often seem obvious. Well, I'll, I'll build this and it will last and it will continue. And when, it, when something shuts down or something ends, it doesn't feel as obvious. It's sort of like, well, God, if this was good, why didn't you continue it? But while, while our plans often aren't lasting, God's plans are, and that's what we see in these next verses. Take a look at verse 11 of Second Samuel 7. It says, From the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel, he, he's dwelt in, that, remember he was talking about dwelling in tents. From the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you, That the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will build him. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words, in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. So, God says, I am with you, David. I am pleased with what you're doing. I just don't want you to do the thing that you thought you should do. But here's the interesting thing about God's plans. God's plans are always better than our plans. And David, in that mix of wanting to worship the Lord and probably also wanting to have a temple that he's built for the Lord, is told something far more grand, although David probably couldn't even fully contemplate what the promise was. He's told... David, I don't want you to build a house for me that might last many generations even. That's not your job. But here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to build something from you. I'm going to take you and I'm going to take your, your children and your children's children and I'm going to create a lasting dynasty. I'm going to create a a kingdom that doesn't end. He's going to build a house for David. David thought he needed to build a house for the Lord and and... God says, no, I'm going to build a house for you, David. Yes, you built a palace for yourself, but I'm going to build a lasting house. I'm going to build for you a family that lasts and lasts and lasts. And here in this, we see God showing who is really leading whom in this picture. Other deities, because they weren't real, needed someone to build them houses. They needed someone to make sure they lasted, that someone didn't forget that the... the, the Baal was here, or Moloch was here, or, or Asherah was here. They they needed people to craft something so that they wouldn't be forgotten. They needed idols, they needed buildings, they needed temples, they needed these things so that people could reflect on them. But God says, I don't need any of that stuff. There will be a time. There will be a time for those things, not the idols, but for for a temple. But I don't need them. In fact, I'm the one who does building, not you, David. This isn't David getting in trouble. This is just God teaching David. David had a good desire. And sometimes we have good desires. Sometimes maybe the things that you've been trying to do for God, that you've been trying to sort out in your life, thinking this is the path that God has for me and it doesn't seem to be coming together. It doesn't mean that God's angry with you. It doesn't mean that that you've done anything wrong. It means that God is directing you to where he wants you to be. It's not always where we think. But God is putting together the pieces. God is the temple builder and God is the life builder. And so God says to David, you're not going to build the temple for me. I'm going to choose someday someone who's going to build the temple. In fact, he's going to be one of your descendants, but I'm going to build something with you. And David reflects on this in Psalm 110. David begins that psalm with this phrase that's quoted repeatedly in the New Testament. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Jesus presents this this quotation to the Pharisees as a puzzle. How can it be that David, as he, he looks to the Lord, the God of all the universe, whom is, who he's receiving these promises from, he gets a vision from the Lord about the future, and he's looking at his descendants, but he says, the Lord says to my Lord, David says, this person I'm seeing that the Lord is blessing, that's in this line that that God has promised to me, is so important, is so special, that I'm going to honor him with the title of someone who's superior to me. Now, of course, David couldn't pull all that together at the time. He wouldn't understand the fullness uh, that that the fulfillment would have in in Jesus, that Jesus would come, a, a descendant of David and yet also the son of God, God himself, God incarnate, how could David possibly comprehend that? How can we even today comprehend that? We we confess it, but how do we comprehend it? Wow. But David gets a glimpse of it. God shows him something of it, and he worships the Lord and creates songs to praise the Lord about what God is doing. Now, you might say, well, that's the case for the Messiah and the, the line of the Messiah, David's special. But we see this over and over again in scripture. For example, if you think about the story of Joseph back in Genesis, Joseph is, is a descendant of, of, of Jacob. He's the son of Jacob, but he seems just like a son of, of Jacob. He doesn't seem like anything special. Then he's sold into slavery. He definitely doesn't seem special. And yet he becomes the instrument by which God saves countless people from famine. God does these things. and He does it uh, every single day as we are called to minister the gospel to the people around us. Each of us has that calling. And, and Paul talks, for example, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he, he talks about trying to take credit for what's going on with the gospel. And he says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. And here's the thing that, that comes out of what, what Paul is saying there. He's saying, well, you, sure, I, I'm planting the seeds of the gospel, but Apollos is the one that's coming and seeing those little seedlings starting to sprout and gives them water. And the growth, what's actually happening? Well, it's not it's not me and it's not Apollos. It's It's God. God's the one that's doing it. Sometimes we're the one doing the planting and we walk away and we just see dirt in the field. Sometimes we're the one... Who's coming on? See, it's the little seedling starting to to grow and 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 at least get that joy. Sometimes we're the one that comes in as the plants have fully matured and we see what God is actually doing. It's not always the same for us, but what is the same is the faithfulness of God, and and that's where David turns ultimately as he receives this promise. Take a look a little further in in Second Samuel seven, verse twenty three to twenty six. David re- is responding to the Lord, and he says. And who is like your people Israel, the one nation on earth whom God went to redeem to be his people, making himself a name and doing for them great and awesome things by driving out before your people whom you redeemed for yourself from Egypt, a nation and its gods. And you established yourself for yourself, your people Israel, to be your people forever and you, O Lord, became their God. And now, O Lord God, confirm forever the word that you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house, and do as you have spoken. And your name will be magnified forever, saying, The Lord of hosts is God over Israel, and the house of your servant David will be established before you. Notice what David's saying there. He's not saying, Oh, I'm... I'm, I'm so torn up, I I wanted to build this temple and God didn't let me and I guess he doesn't care about me. No, what David sees as he's interacting with this promise, even as he doesn't fully understand its implications, is he looks back to the faithfulness God has shown for generations, how he he chose the people of Israel and he called them out of Egypt and he, he declared them his people and that he was their God. And David sees that and then he sees what God has newly promised, this new covenant that God has made on top of that, that covenant through Moses, that, that that law that he gave and all the promises he gave. He sees this new promise that God has given as an extension of that. And David says, if you're going to use me that way, that's wonderful. That's where I want to be. And we see a transformation. We, we see at the beginning, commentators have noted this, this reference to the king, the king, the king. But notice here, as as God speaks to, of David, he calls him his servant. And as David responds, he also uses that servant terminology. David says, I don't want to be the one lording it over. I want to be the servant of the Most High God. And so it is that he is. And, and that places him in the right place. And it's a place both of, obviously enough, service. He's the one serving God, not the other way around. But also in its own way, an honor. What an honor it is to be a servant of the Lord. And in fact, in scripture, that title means something. We see it applied, for example, to Moses. It's to those whom God has called into that special place of service. And so it is that God is going to use David to build on the work of Moses, to establish this dynasty that's ultimately going to bring out the fruition of the whole reason the people of Israel were called to be God's people, to bring redemption to the world through Jesus. And David can't know exactly how it all fits together, but he knows it's connected. He knows that God is working. and He knows that while he, his plan, the one that he wanted to do to build that temple, isn't the thing that God has for him, that it will be something that needs to be done. And so what does he do? He, he looks ahead. Well, I'm going to be king. God's established me as king. Things are going well. I'm going to collect the resources for a temple so that someday when it's time for it to be built, we're ready for it. For example, if we look at 1 Chronicles 28, verses 11 to 19, it says, And then David gave Solomon his son the plan of the vestibule of the temple, and of its houses, and its treasuries, its upper rooms, its inner chambers, and of the room for the mercy seat, and and the plan of all that he had in mind for the courts of the house of the Lord, all the surrounding chambers, the treasuries of the house of God, and the treasuries for dedicated gifts for the divisions of the priests and of the levites and all the work of the service in the house of the Lord for all the vessels for the service in the house of the Lord the weight of the gold for all the gold vessels for each of the service for each service the weight of the silver vessels for each service the weight of the gold lampstands and their lamps the weight of the gold for each lampstand and its lamps the weight of silver for the lampstand and its lamps according to the use of each lampstand in the service The way the gold for each table for the showbread, the silver for the silver tables, and the pure gold for the forks, the basins, and the cups, for the golden bowls and the weight of each, for the silver bowls and the weight of each, for the altar of incense made of refined gold and its weight, also his plan for the golden chariot of the cherubim that, that spread their wings and covered the ark of the covenant of the Lord. All this he made clear to me in the writing from the hand of the Lord, all the work to be done according to the plan. So David accumulates the resources and makes the plans and he passes it on to his son Solomon. And David's not going to get to build that temple, but he still wants to be a part of it. And he still wants to be a part of God's work. And he recognizes in this case, in a sense, so to speak, he's the one doing the planting. This This place that's going to be used for the worship of God, he's not going to get to see it just as Moses didn't get to enter the promised land, just as Paul didn't always get to see the people he's ministered to and how the gospel was going to come out in their lives, just how we often interact. And and when we're showing the love of Jesus to people, we don't often get to see what comes of it. And sometimes the things that we think we've planned and the things that we think we're going to get to see, we actually don't. What David understands here is, is when God says, well, don't build the temple, this is not your thing to do, David, It doesn't mean that he should just not care about it, that he should just call off and say, well, okay, I'll just mind my own business. No, he recognizes what he's called to do is to to put together pieces, to contribute to the work of God and to recognize that God's the one that's actually doing the building. And so if he doesn't get to see it all, if he doesn't get to be the one who actually puts it all together, that's okay. Because the one he trusts, the one he worships, the one who's with him, the one who brings promises out in his life he's the one doing the building. He's the one that can be trusted. In our lives, oftentimes it feels like we're just seeing a whole big splattering of pieces all out in front of us and we don't know how it's all coming together. It feels like buying a piece of furniture that's in one of those boxes. It's just, you know, it's supposed to be an entertainment center or a table and it's just in a flat box and you pull it out and you have all these pieces and it you start to put them together, and if you're like me, maybe you start to put them together before you open the instructions, and it doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense. And then some pieces are on wrong, and you try to stick on some more pieces, and eventually you open the instructions and realize you put on the wrong pieces, and you take them off, and you start to actually see it come together. And and finally, it forms that thing that you went and bought, that thing that you actually have a use for, but it doesn't look like it at first. And, and Sometimes we're getting to be the one putting the final pieces in the assembly together and we're seeing the table come together. Sometimes we're not. Sometimes we're just putting the first few pieces together. Sometimes we're putting the brackets on wrong and they're gonna have to be taken back off. But here's the good news God hasn't just made instructions. He hasn't just written a, a hard to decipher manual for how to assemble an entertainment center. No, he's given us instruction on how to do the things that he wants us to do. And he's the one that's going to put it all together in our lives. And we may feel like, well, I I put in the order and it arrived and it didn't come assembled. My life isn't assembled the way I want it. But we know that God is the one doing the assembling and he will put you together. He will put me together. He will bring our lives together and he will work it all out to his glory in his time. You join me in prayer. Lord, it's hard to accept this at times. We want to be the one doing the assembly, the one pulling the pieces together. We want to know that it's all going to come together. And then we assemble some of the pieces and realize they're in the wrong place and they come back out and it just feels like we're nowhere at all. We've been waiting for the pre-order to arrive and it arrives and it's still not assembled and we feel frustrated. But Lord, would you assemble us and our lives in your way? Would you help us to see the times where we're getting ahead of ourselves? Maybe we're trying to do something that you have for somebody else, like you had the temple to be built by Solomon and not David. Would you help us to instead see that you have placed things in our lives to do and and not always to see the result of, but you're working and we can trust in you. And we can know that you're working in us as well. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I hope this was an encouragement to you today. And if it was, please give it a like or a share. It means so much when you do. Feel free to leave a comment in the comments as well as you help to get the word out. Maybe you don't know who it is that's going to see what you share, but God's assembling the pieces. And uh, He's going to keep assembling the pieces with His people, too. And that's what we'll see next week. So I hope you'll join me at 7 p.m. once again next Monday night as we find ourselves in the wilderness of, of life. We find ourselves with the prophet says the people of Israel are going to be exiled and, and trying to sort out what in the world is God doing there? What happens? when the pieces are pulled apart, it seems. I hope you'll join me for that. And in the meantime, please do join us on Sunday in person if you can. Online, of course, is wonderful to have you there as we begin our brand new series, Born of Light. It's a series on John chapter 3, and it starts this Sunday at 5.30. I do hope to see you for that. In the meantime, if you have any questions, any prayer requests, feel free to shoot me an email at the email address on screen or leave it in the comments below. I love hearing from you. And I can't wait to hear from you. I hope you have a wonderful and blessed week. And I'll see you again very soon.